produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Welcome to another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leader. We're a podcast from the Enlisted Leadership Foundation where we talk to different military leaders about their leadership experience, what they got out of their time in the service, some currently serving, and how that can be used while you're in uniform or for a civilian who never served themselves. Today I'm joined with General Dan Connolly. Uh, Dan is a recent retired, although Marines never retire, so I should say he's a former Marine officer, just completed 34 years of active duty. Uh, General, good morning. Good morning, David. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to spend a few minutes and, and just sharing with us today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate what you and the foundation do, so I'm, I'm more than happy to be here. Well, thanks. So, uh, historically, we like to start our, our show with just a just kind of a fun question. So, uh, everybody, when they first start working or somewhere in their journey of employment, some boss gives them a piece of advice. And uh, there's always going to be some piece of advice that's pretty bad, pretty horrible. Uh, what's the worst piece of advice that someone ever gave you? Uh, probably as a young first lieutenant working for a friend of mine. We were lieutenants together, then he got promoted to captain. And we were set to deploy. And he told me with my platoon at the time, don't ever apologize or don't ever acknowledge a mistake. When you do that, it shows weakness. And as a lieutenant, weakness is not good. Um, he was not a very good leader. Um, he, he was promoted, ironically enough. Um, but, but the idea of never acknowledging a problem, uh, just uh, you know, continue to press, don't say anything, uh, and expect that because you're the senior, folks are just going to fall in line and keep going. And, and what I've learned over time, I think, is uh, not necessarily to say that you're weak, but just to acknowledge, hey, I screwed that one up. I missed that, or I didn't see that. I think people appreciate you know, authenticity and, and people being genuine, uh, and I think it makes you a better leader. You know, Dan, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think we do a great job in the military of, of learning how and, and, and teaching how to be a positional leader. But it's like what you talk about just now, being a humble leader, uh, somebody that it's just fess up to where you may have missed it. Everybody can learn from it. But, you know, you and I, you and I served, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And, and back then, this humble leadership uh, being authentic, as you said, that just really wasn't in vogue. It, it was oftentimes, I'm the chief, I'm the first lieutenant, you're junior to me. It uh, doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong, you're going to execute the orders that I that Sure. I give. And I, I mean, I think we're, you know, whether it's the military or society writ large, you know, it, it comes and goes and things are in fad and, and things fall out of favor. But a lot of, I think, the leadership that I learned was from growing up with my parents and my family. You know, I, I knew my father was in charge of our family. Everybody knew that, but, but he didn't, I cannot remember a single time where he ever said, because I'm the dad, that's why. He always, you know, whatever his decisions were, you understood where it was coming from. I might not have liked it, 
but he would be happy to say, you know what, I missed that. I, I didn't, I didn't see that, or I didn't understand it. Um, so we were just very genuine in that respect. Yeah, you know, I think it's John Maxwell that I heard say once, if a leader has to tell you that they're the leader, then they're not the leader. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we, uh, <clears throat> so when we had a conversation earlier, we started exploring this idea um, uh, when it comes to uh, leadership topics uh, of luck. You know, hmm. what role does luck play in the life of a leader? So I thought as a way to um, expound on this or, or um, I'm going to say tear it apart, but that's not the phrase I'm, I'm thinking of. Anyways, um, you know, when you... Unpack it a little bit. It, pardon me? Unpack it a little bit. Unpack it. That's it. I wanted to unpack that. Thank you. See, got to have those general officers to keep us <laughs> in your list in line sometimes uh, or sometimes the other way around. Um, so... You know, what, what was it that, that drove you into the Marines um, and kept you in the, in the Marines? So my parents were both in the military. My father was in the Army and my mother was in the Navy. I have five older brothers and sisters and three of us, for whatever reason, decided we were going to go in the military. And three, it was the first thing from their mind. Um, as the youngest of six, I figured out early on that my parents probably weren't going to be able to pay for college. So I looked up and found this thing called the Naval Academy and managed to get in. And, and while I was there, I was very fortunate to have a series of company officers over four years. I had four different ones, two Navy, two Marines. And I was just impressed by um, just how the Marines dealt with us as midshipmen who sometimes act more like probably Lance Corporals and, you know, third class petty officers. Um, very intelligent, but can get into some mischief every once in a while. Um, and I just, I appreciated how they dealt with us and how they led us um, through all the stuff that we had to do through school. So that's, I think, really why, uh, well, the main reason I went into the Marine Corps, it also didn't help that I got seasick on ships. So that was not really a starter for me. So speaking of mischief, um, any any uh, mischief in your <laughs> early career that uh, you, where you got lucky, where it could could have ended up pretty bad, but luck uh, prevented that? Yeah. So um, as a second lieutenant, my first platoon on a night machine gun shoot, we were going to do everything right, and I was going to have everything ready to go. And uh, my platoon sergeant and I sat out, and I opened every single one of the flares that was in the case so that we'd be able to do the correct procedures right on time and everything else. And it, it turns out as we launched the first one and it landed, it lit the range on fire and they told us to shut the whole thing down. So we were left with an almost complete fully box of flares. And the next day, my platoon sergeant said, Hey, sir, I got a way to get rid of these. Um, but I don't advocate for this. I, I having been a base commander, don't ever do this, but, um, we managed to secure a range legally, and then we popped as many of the flares into the air at one time as we could, knowing that when the first one landed, it was going to catch fire. And that lit the range on fire, which then started to spread. And my platoon sergeant, I told him, go make sure that you uh, check in with range control. So we left and he came back and he was trying to tell me something. I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Just I'm watching my career go up in flames as 
the fire goes and expands over a couple different ridge lines and I, I, I left the range and reported to my battalion commander knowing that that was the end of 2nd Lieutenant Conley's career. He was, I was going to be the next stupid lieutenant story at the basic school for what not to do on a machine gun range. Well, it turns out, yes, we did light the range on fire. But I had the sheer dumb luck of the Camp Pendleton Fire Department doing a controlled burn the exact same day. So the other oh, ranges that were burning were not as a result of what I did, but it was as a result of what the fire department had planned. And mine just kind of fell into it. So my battalion commander gave me a good dressing down for being an idiot with flares, uh, both in the opening and the, how we tried to dispose of them. But told me, did you learn any lesson? Oh, absolutely, General or Colonel. I certainly did. And it so went on from there. But yes, I, lucky and dodged a bullet. Dodged the bullet. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think any, whether, whether somebody serves four years or 40 years, I, I think luck is always part of the equation. You know, and, and it may be, it may be dumb luck that kind of like that, that guy that gave you the worst piece of advice. Uh, it may be that dumb luck that, uh, that you didn't follow it, right? And and or the 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 dumb luck that nobody really knows about. And uh, you know, I was like, man, I dodged that bullet. I want to I want to make sure that I don't make that mistake again, and hopefully prevent other people. You know what? Um, so you're married. You have, you have three daughters. How does luck, uh, or does luck, uh, as a leader, as you move up the hierarchy? Uh, how does luck play into life in, in the military family and that dynamics when it comes to duty stations and responsibility? Because, you know, just like any job, the higher we move up, the more responsibility we have and, and the harder we have to work. So, you know, family families do kind of take take a, a backseat sometimes, unfortunately. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we... we... I mean, I think we talk about it a lot in the military about, you know, the value of the family and how important they are and, and those kind of things. But as you point out, when it gets right down to it, you know, the mission is what we're going to do. So families are, are very understanding a lot of the times of um, why you can't be somewhere or not this month, but next month we'll do it or next year or things that are missed. Um, with my family, we were serving in Florida. I was a colonel and... Um, we were having some, uh, some, my oldest daughter was having some, some challenges, nothing huge, but just enough to make us pause. And my wife and I said, well, you know, if we continue to serve, if, if by sheer dumb luck, um, I'm selected for general, I, I don't know that I can do what I think the Marine Corps requires as a general officer and be the father I need to be for my daughter, particularly if she's having some challenges. So I requested not to be considered for promotion. I, I took my name off the list mm. and my wife and I decided that, okay, we were, we were going to retire and, uh, we were happy with the decision. It was a, it was literally a family decision. It was not a, you know, either one of us forcing one thing or the other. And, um, we managed to work through, um, some of the issues, most of the issues with my daughter. And my wife said, you know, I don't, I think I can do one more tour. We don't, we don't necessarily need to retire yet. Um, so I called up a friend in California and said, Hey, I'd love to come back to Camp Pendleton and, and I'll be your chief of staff. And it's where my wife is from. And it was all good. We, we were fixing to head to California and I was going to retire out of the, the place where I started my career. And about, I don't know, a month or so later, 
I got a call from the commandant and he said, you've been selected for general. And I, I kind of, it took me a while to process what he was telling me. So I called my wife and I said, hey, we've been selected. And she said, are you sure they know it's you? This is not a mistake. There's only one Dan Conley. So we did verify it was me. Um, a little while later, I got told, hey, we're, we're, you're going to be assigned to the commanding general of, of uh, 2nd Marine Logistics Group in North Carolina. So my wife and I went up and we did the turnover and then we, all the change of command invites were going out and we were about a month out. And I got another phone call and they said, hey, you're not going to North Carolina, you're going to Okinawa. I said, what are you talking about? It's all, I mean, invitations are already out, it's in the mail. They said, yeah, that's not interesting. You're doing Okinawa in two weeks. So I left my family. Um, I flew over, my wife, God bless her, and the girls packed up the house. I flew back and met them five weeks later. Um, and we all flew over and, and started our tour in Okinawa. So I guess I would say um, it, it, it is um, not a lot of folks get selected to general. I know there's a lot of folks who could be sitting in this chair um, instead of me. Um, but when it came right down to it, my, my family and I decided, hey, um, we're going we're gonna to look out for the family. And we did. And it still worked out in the end anyway. So I would say there was a healthy dose of luck in that. You know, and that, and. And I, get, I just think, you know, there's, there's luck from a perspective of what I'm hearing you saying is it's, you know, there, there are career paths in the military, both in the officer and the enlisted side. There's career milestones. There's certain uh, wickets, whether it's a position or a rotation, things like that, that is looked for when you go to a selection board. You know, it's Clearly, you didn't get selected. Just, oh, who's this? Let's draw a name out of a hat. We'll take Dan Connolly. Come on down. I mean, no, clearly, your leadership, the successes of, of those that uh, worked with you and that you led, you accomplished a great deal. So it's not, I don't want to lessen the significance of it, but I think if we look back to being that humble leader, the motivation wasn't to get promoted. The motivation is to execute the mission, be successful, and come home with everybody that you left with. Um, so, but then you also, you also, you know, I think of timing. You know, I think of the, the, the like in the Navy, we have a, a seashore rotation. At least, and I'll speak from a listed perspective. And I had a, I had a chief petty officer years, you know, I think I was an E5, uh, shore duty. And I had one of these informal, now they're formal career development boards. But that, that, back then it was informal. I can remember standing in a parking lot behind the building. And this, this chief started talking to me and he, and he just shared, he says, you know, uh, in your career, whatever you do, don't go to the same type of ship twice and just make sure you maintain a seashore rotation. Simple enough. And, and I did. And then you know, once I made Master Chief and, and I sat selection boards and I could see the value of timing, not because somebody charted it that way, but just the luck of when they got promoted. So, you know, so I'll throw it back at you, huh? You know, how how important is timing or how how does timing play into the, the luck when it comes to a, a, whether it's a promotion, a job or even the time to get out? Um, I, I am firmly believe I'm a product of luck, skill, and timing. So some of the, some of the skill that I have 
I got from my parents. I'm, I'm, I'm able to run, so I've always had a good PFT. And I've worked at it. It's not like I sat back and ate donuts and then expected to run a good PFT. It's, it's genetically, though, that, that's just what I'm disposed to do. Um, there are timing issues. I completely agree. As a, as a second lieutenant, uh, I went to my basic log officer course, and out of that course, three of us got assigned to Camp Pendleton. So we all drive from Little Creek, Virginia, where the school was, out to Camp Pendleton. And we arrived at three different times. The first guy that ended up being my roommate ended up going to a battalion and he never deployed. The second one checked in. He ended up going to the headquarters, never deployed. I show up, the third of three, because I'm not that quick, and I end up going to a battalion. And from that, I deployed multiple times. That was my first combat deployments. I deployed to Somalia. The, the officers and Marines out of that, I can count more um, colonels, generals, sergeants, majors, and master gunnery sergeants from that tour in that battalion. So it wasn't, they didn't look at me and go, you know, hey, we're holding the space for Conley. It was, I was the third dude to show up and they went, okay, that's where you're going. And it was one of the best things, really, it started off my career. Um, but, you know, fast forward 20 plus years and I'm a colonel or a lieutenant colonel rather, and I show up to my colonel command and I get this, I, I bought a house and the day I was moving into my house, I get a call from the chief of staff and he says, hey, the general expects all his commanders to live on base. And I'm like, ah, I just bought a house. I'm not going to sell it. I, I don't know how to do this. So I call up my mentor who was from that battalion and I said, hey, I'm trying to figure out a way to have this discussion with my brand new boss, two-star general that I've never met to say, is there any kind of latitude or wiggle room in this? Well, it turns out that this mentor of mine that I've known since I was a lieutenant was best friends with my new boss. I didn't know that. What I didn't want him to do was call him and say, hey, and explain. All I was looking for was for advice. Long and short of it is, it all worked out and I had my first meeting with my boss. And so the, the I guess the, the luck and timing aspect of that is I had no reason to expect that my mentor was going to know my boss. Turns out that they liked each other. He believed what my mentor told him. And I was very fortunate to have a great command for two years. And I didn't have to move on base. I got to live in my house. That's fantastic. You know, when you use those three words, luck, skill, and timing, um, has there ever been a time, that can you think of a time, where maybe there was somebody... Um, you know, there, there's always those people that, man, there's something about that person. And I mean that in a positive, not, oh, there's something about it. But there's just something about that. They, they have that it thing. I, it, you know, and it could be anything. But where, how does luck, skill, and timing as a leader play into, as you know your people, and maybe when you have to pick somebody for a certain job or certain duty, for all we know, yeah, you were the third, third guy to show up that day. But maybe, maybe there was a fourth you didn't know about, but there was something about you that whoever assigned you there said, man, there's something. You know, what, what would a leader, so the question is, what would a leader look for, thinking of luck, skill, and timing? You know, what did you see? What, what, what was it that would make you pick somebody? Maybe that's somebody who others maybe wouldn't. And, and, and hopefully there was success in that, 
you pick this person because you just saw something or was it a feeling and that they they really people were surprised at how well that individual did I think there's a I think it's a business truism that says you hire for attitude and you train for skill so most of the folks um, that I have I have learned from um, have a, a really good attitude I had a, I had a good chance I had a a great tour as an instructor at the Naval Academy. And, and one of the guys that we brought in was a, he was pretty average, he, you know, good grades, everything else, but he, nothing outstanding. And the, the hockey coach went to the basketball coach and he said, hey, what's it going to take to bring this guy in as a student at the Naval Academy? And the basketball coach says, two hockey sticks. And they did. And they brought him in. And that guy graduated fifth in the class, uh, was captain of the hockey team, and is now a neurosurgeon for the Navy. So, um, it, it, to me, a lot of it is just the attitude, uh, that you bring to it. And then it's, you know, if we don't treat everybody the same in that what works for David Deary is going to work for Dan Conley, as long as you accept that, you know, there are different approaches for different people, I think you can, you can achieve a lot of things, um, that maybe might not have been there before. And I think that kind of rolls into a bit of the, okay, if you appeal to the right skills that someone has um, and not try and force them into some kind of box, um, I think you find you have some pretty good results. Yeah, that's so true, Dan. Well, you know, unfortunately, we're about out of time. It goes so fast and it's so interesting. Um, but uh, I want to be sensitive to the, to the listeners as well. But be, before we escape, and, and this fits right into the, the topic of luck, um, and, and you can't go back to your earlier story, but you know, we all, we all get lucky by bad decisions, uh, sometimes. So you're like, man, I, I dodged that bullet. Uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I made a decision once we, we were underway, we we're performing an exercise and we are, um, tracking a drone and we are taking the drone out with, uh, one of our, uh, surface to air missiles and <laughs> I did not pay attention to what we were doing as far as the time and it was time to change the crypto and so I took down the circuit at the time that we were supposed to shoot it down and the captain was the tactical action officer so I learned I mean I was like "Ooh, I dodged that bullet that could have gone bad real quick but it didn't so any any uh lucky mistake you ever got away with um, as a squadron commander, so lieutenant colonel, um, I did not work hard enough on the relationship that I had with my sergeant major. Um, he, he was a good man, um, but he was an infantry marine, and this was a combat service support unit, so he was a little bit out of his element. And um, th there was just some friction that shouldn't have been there. Um, we ended up deploying to Iraq. Um, deploy the whole 600 person squadron there and I was very fortunate to have an XO that was a phenomenal leader and a great guy uh, very much of a people person and he was the bridge between my Sergeant Major and I we brought everybody over and we brought everybody back uh, so I'm very grateful for that bad leadership that I got away with was uh, I was not focused enough on building that relationship with my Sergeant Major, my senior enlisted leader, 
that I think would have made for a stronger unit um, because I was expecting him to come to me and I didn't uh, probably didn't learn as much as I could have out of that command. Yeah, but I'm sure you remembered that for your future tours with that relationship with your sergeant majors. I've had phenomenal sergeants majors since then, and I have enjoyed getting to know every single one of them. So, yeah, I've been very lucky. Very good. Well, Dan, once again, I want to thank you uh, for joining uh, today, for sharing a little bit about who you are and, and your uh, some, some lessons on luck through a 34-year career. All the best to you and your family as you start, no, not a new chapter, but a new book in this uh, life on the, this side of the blue line. Uh, for everyone else, thank you again for tuning in. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation. This has been another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. You just got done listening to General Dan Connolly as we explore the topic of leadership and the role that luck plays in leadership. Until next time, lead on. Produced by Podcast Architects.